morning, church. My name is Brett. I am pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially those who are guests with us today. And, and you may be here as a guest for the last six months. You haven't called us home yet. But we are grateful that you've decided to call us home for an hour today. So welcome. Um, we're going to begin a series on stewardship today. And uh, I don't know how long it's going to last, but we're going to figure out how God wants us to t- take care of the things that he has given us. So turn with me over to the book of Genesis. We're going to start at the beginning. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 7 through 8 and then verse 15. Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 through 8 and then verse 15. Let me give you a definition of stewardship. The care and protection of that which is another's toward its desired end. The care and protection of that which is another's toward its desired end. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, and then verse 15. The title of this message is Stewardship, Caring for Your Garden. Caring for Your Garden. Then the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to cultivate it and keep it. Lord, help us as we study. Three things I'd like to concentrate on in this passage. One, that Adam was taken from one spot to another. Two, he was located to a spot. And then three, he was charged. So he was taken from, located to, and then charged. T-L-C. Sorry. But God does treat you with tender, loving care. Sometimes it's with truth that isn't very comfortable, but it's the best way for you to be treated. I know it might be difficult sometimes, but it's better than judgment, which we deserve. Do your best to never cry out when you pray, God, give me justice. Try not to do that. I know you might feel righteous. You might feel that your position is, is where it should be and everybody else is wrong. Give me justice. Be, 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 be real careful because he might. And you don't want that. We are all sinners. We're all criminals in his kingdom. We've done things wrong that are deserving of death. And he treats us mercifully every day, all day. Tender loving care is the standard operating procedure for the way God looks at us and how he treats us. But I I want to talk about Adam's stewardship. God made the world, and, and when he made the world, he wasn't looking for another place to live. He was fine where he was. What he was doing was trying trying to make a place where he could put the the creature that was going to be in his image, the one he loved. And God's nature is love. It's not a part of his nature. It is who he is. And love desires to give. And he just didn't want to give stuff. He really wanted to give himself because that is the greatest expression of love. And so in doing so, he created man and said, I breathe into you me. It was more than just oxygen that Adam had. He breathed his image into Adam. 
We are not made in the image of God because we have two hands and two feet and two eyeballs and two ears and we have a degree of symmetry. It's not the flesh that somehow mimics what God looks like in the spirit. It is the spirit of a man that is supposed to be made in his image. And right now all we have is the residual presence of that. We don't have the fullness because we fell. Adam gave us only what he could and that was what was left over after, after perfection had been marred. God breathed into him because he wanted to give of himself and to give that man something that would allow him to now be a co-partner in stewardship of part of the universe. Adam was to steward the planet and do it well so that God could receive glory from his service. And Adam himself would, would have some sense of purpose and an idea about what life looks like when life matters. And there's so much more to you than just your nine to five. You're not nine to seven, sorry. Your nine to seven is important. Please don't ever think I'm minimizing that. But there is so much more to you than that. There's a calling. There's a sense of, I've got to be responsible for everything that God gave me. I've got to give an account to him for my time, my money, my relationships, my material possessions, my worship, my devotional life, what I've done with the information he's given me. I've got to give an account. And I, I, I can't come up wanting here. I've got to make sure that I approach him with confidence, yet with a sense of limp, knowing that I couldn't have done it well without him and he was my, my, my strength and my portion and my help all the way. But at least I can say this, perfect may never be confused with me, but I was faithful. I was faithful. And that ought to be our aim every day. Mistakes are those which are endemic to us. And I hate it. I hate that I make mistakes. And it's hard to get past our humanity when, when, when trying to find God because it gets in the way. But this is why he's given us fixes to all of our, our wrongdoing and all of our errors and, and being just a couple of degrees off due north. This is why forgiveness and restoration are important to our progress he put them in our tool belt so that we could use them regularly to help people get past whatever they did to us and restore them back to us because we need them in our lives. The reason you have this ought and offense is not just because somebody did something to you. It is fueled by the enemy not wanting that person to be to you what God wants them to be to you. And as a result of your unforgiveness, you are separating somebody who is important to your progress. You may not think so, but the enemy realizes that it's better for two to be together than one. And you can't really order the kind of the, the, the you can't order special made the kind of two you need. You're the one. You can't special make the two. God brings to you the two. And generally, they are... Absolutely opposite of you. They may not like the same food. They may not like the same drink. They don't like the same music. They don't like the same anything. Now, you know, it's good when you can find somebody with, with whom you have a lot in common. That's really nice. I haven't found that yet. <laughs> when, when, when you do, let me know. I, I'm 56, been walking with Jesus for 36, and I haven't found that. God puts in my life people who are exactly different than me. And I'm saying, well, can't I have a break? I just, I just want somebody to hang with. 
Everybody's different. But you know what it does for me? Makes me grow all the time. I learn to accept different rather than to resist it. To appreciate it as a compliment rather than a source of conflict. To embrace other people's different ideas and their different way of doing things and the way they speak. And uh, probably no more two different people than my wife and me. Now, I get all the online matchmaking thing. I, I get it. I do. And I'm happy for people who find somebody like that. But God didn't love me like that. He loved me differently. When we go to a restaurant, she wants to sit outside in the heat. I want to sit in the air conditioning. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody? You know why they put those climate controls in the car, don't you? (laughs) And even with that, she likes to control it with the fan. I like to control it with the temperature. So when she messes with my fan, I try to go back to it. You can't do that. It's getting too hot. It's my side. (laughs) We like different movies. We like different food. We like different music. We like different everything. Just yesterday, we've been married 30 years, and we have a great marriage. There is nobody God could have given me that is better. Nobody. She's an amazing woman. Nobody. We were having a conversation yesterday, or sometime three, four days ago, and, and, and it was one of those conversations. You know the three-hour ones? Where I have to repeat over and over. What do you mean by this? You know you said this. Did you mean that? What did that mean? I'm trying to answer. I'm trying. And then she's saying to me, why did you answer like that? This could be a 15-minute conversation, but we think differently. I'm just trying to make you feel comfortable. To know that you are not alone. And I've got to steward my relationships because God put them in my life. And I can't choose to depart. I got to choose to accept and work it because they are things God's given me in order to make me better. And without them, I could not be who I am. And I tell my bride constantly, without you, I could not be who I am. That does not mean that somehow she replaces Christ in my life. No. But it does mean she has been my helper. And I'm grateful to God every day for that woman. I married way upstream. I'm grateful. So I've got to steward things. And in in understanding what stewardship looks like, it's important for us to look at the beginning to see what God thought about what he thought about man stewarding things. And so the first thing it says that God did was that he took the man and put him in the garden. There is a taking that needs to happen in your life from wherever you are. You can't stay where you are and still be fully pleasing to God. Even if you're walking right, there's progress that needs to be made. And God's going to have to take you from one spot to another. 
Now, there was no perceptible bad spot on the planet. I mean, there was no sin introduced at this point. But there was a better spot for Adam. So God said, I'm taking you from here, and I want to put you in the garden. For us, generally, we deal with bad to good rather than good to best. And may I say, as we start from the beginning of the places from which we need to be taken, you need to be fully out of the world. Dear church, you need to be fully out of the world. God has to take you out of the world system. And then once he brings you out, take that which is on the inside of you out of you so that you can serve well. There is always a taking that needs to be done in your life. You cannot live both in the kingdom and in the world. You cannot. You can't dabble with your foot and sit over here and say, oh, it's, it's not that cold. And then realize somehow the longer you stay, you start dipping in it fully. And then you come out and lightning bolts didn't hit you. You didn't die. The world didn't crash. The sky did not fall. And then you are emboldened to some degree to believe, see the mercy of God follows me. And I can do stuff. I don't have to be one of those holier-than-thou Christians. I can just be a normal Christian. May I help you? Normal is as holy as you can be in Christianity. I'm not talking about hypocritical holier-than-thou, somehow thinking that some, in some way you're better than somebody else because you live differently. We are all in need of the grace and mercy of God to be able to live right, every one of us. I can't brag about my life to anybody the only reason I've got to where I am is because, because God took me out and put me in. Fortunately, I've complied more often than not. And so my progress has been accelerated by my obedience. But I cannot give any credit to me. None. Without him, I would be nothing. So there is no holier than now, but there is a holy. There is a being like him. There is a not settling for less. There is a, I'm not just trying to, to get to heaven and, and don't matter, don't, don't care about what's happening here. There is a that. We need to make sure that we are trying to make God happy every day rather than just trying to get by. You have to leave the world. If you want to come into the full stewardship of your garden, then you're going to have to get out of the world system and let him plant you where he wants you to be. Paul, writing to Christians in the book of Corinthians, chapter 6, 1 Corinthians, says in verse 18, I want you to understand how this works, church people, that you cannot be the way you, way you are. Actually, starts in verse 14. What fellowship does light have with darkness? Or what relationship does Christ have with Belial, the enemy, Satan? I want you to know that if you're going to be with me, you must come out from their midst and be separate. There's got to be something distinct about your life. I need to take you out of that which you're in and put you where you ought to be. And then you will be sons and daughters to me and I'll be your daddy. God said that to his church. People were living half in, half out. And in Corinth, immorality was just about the order of the day. They didn't know the difference, at least theologically, though they may have known it viscerally, because everybody knows to some degree the difference between right and wrong. You know when you're blowing it. You may not know chapter and verse. You may not be able to point to a particular scripture, but you know what wrong is. 
Now your conscience may be so defiled that you've forgotten what wrong is. And you need some help to understand, oh, uh, yeah, it's not just not sleeping with her. I, I didn't get many amens. There's a whole lot more wrong than just not sleeping with her. You can do a lot of things that are improper. There are so many areas that we need to develop in our soul with, a, with respect to a sensitivity in God that we shun evil and pursue good. Holiness. God wants to take you out of that which you've been in so that you can be pleasing to him. And it's not just about making him happy. It's about preserving you because that wickedness in, in which you're involved is going to hurt you and it's going to hurt all the people with whom you're involved. There is no such thing as private sin. It affects everybody. Maybe not that one particular thing you're doing at the moment, but there are ripple effects to everybody's actions. And even if it means that you weren't doing something right that you could have been doing, it's an act of omission rather than an act of commission, though you may have done an act of commission. And the act of commission meant you were doing something not right. And making sure... I, I said too much there. Important for you to understand that there are so many levels at which we disobey that we need to at least be sensitized to so that we can make them happy and not destroy our own lives. Don't shoot holes in your own boat. Don't do it. And constantly then be, be needing the mercy of God for forgiveness because every week you dabble in the same stuff. God wants to take you out because he's got a better place to put you. Children of Israel coming out of Egypt. <laughs> Do you know that from Egypt to the promised land was an 11-day journey? 11 days. It took the Israelites 40 years. Now, the promised land was the corporate national version of the Garden of Eden, as close as you could get having a sin-filled world. God's been, God has been... God's... God has been trying to simplify everything for us. All he's doing is trying to get us back, for the most part, to the beginning. He had a really good plan, and we messed it up. He's trying to get you to live in your version of the Garden of Eden here. That's why he said, our Father, pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? How? He's trying to let you create your own garden of paradise where heaven and earth decrease the distance between the two and how whatever you do here on the planet looks like just how it ought to be done in heaven. Children of Israel moving to the promised land. It, the promised land said it was a place of milk and honey. Now, we who don't live in an agrarian society really don't understand what that means. It flowed with milk and honey. It just didn't have it. It flowed with it. It meant that all the mammalian creatures that lactated had the ability to eat as much food as they needed to not only produce one calf or lamb, but two or three because there was so much provision. And when it flowed with honey, you didn't have to break open the honeycomb to find the honey. Honey was just dripping from the honeycomb. Why? Because there were so many flowers that the bees could pollinate. This was arguably the most fertile land on the planet, and God was bringing his people to that to show them what it means to be taken from and put into. It was so fertile. When they sent out the, um, 
the, the warriors, the, the scouts, to, to determine the lay of the land and to see whether it was exactly as God said, a land flowing with milk and honey. They came back and they gave an evil report, but they came back with some of the fruit. And it says that a cluster of grapes was so large that they had to put it on a pole and it had to be carried by two men. One cluster of grapes. Now, I can go to Safeway. <laughs> I can go to Giant and pick up a cluster of grapes, put a little bag and bring it on home. What kind of grapes were these? <laughs> One cluster. They must have been as big as oranges. And they were so phenomenal that they brought them back to show everybody as evidence that this land is unusual. Look at what God is doing for us. There's no place in the Middle East like this. He's giving us the best. You don't bring back a little package of grapes and say, pretty good. <laughs> Worth fighting for. Worth fighting for. <laughs> Two men had to carry this with a pole between them. They were so heavy. Representing how God wants to provide. He wants you to be in there. That's why he took you out of the land of Egypt. But if you stay in Egypt and you let Egypt stay in you, You'll never get to this land. You'll never get to the place where it's supposed to flow. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't go to heaven. It just means you won't experience as much of heaven here. And I really want you to. I desperately want you to. So you got to come out. Let him take you out. And it says he took him and then placed him. He located him in a spot. And why did he do that? For two reasons. One for provision and one for purpose. Provision and purpose. This garden, wow. We don't have a description of the kind of fruit, but it has to be close to what the, the spies came back with. Luscious stuff. Remember, this was God's version of perfect provision for man. There was no flaw in it. You didn't have to worry about June bugs eating the leaves. This, this, was, this was amazing. No, no insecticides needed here. No pesticides needed. And, and the, the, the soil was so fertile that it produced large fruit. And, and God wanted to provide for Adam like this. He said, you could be provided for out here, but this is my best spot for you. And so he put him in his version, God's version, of what heaven on earth would be for a man. The Lord wants to increase your idea of, of the quality of life you can live. Now, please, do not interpret from what I'm saying that I'm talking about a health and wealth gospel that is only all about you. I'm not. But I do believe in God making us more healthy, and I do believe in providing resources for you. But why is the key? So you can be a blessing to the world. It is really hard for you to go serve the homeless when you're laid up in a hospital bed. Just hard. It's really hard for you to give to our orphans in Kenya when you don't have any resources to do so. God blessed Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you, but it didn't stop there. I'm going to bless you that you might be a blessing. The reason God wants to make you full is so that you can pour out your fullness on others, so that you can be a blessing to others. It doesn't have anything, a little bit to do with you, a little bit, because he cares about you. But the needs of the world cry out for the provision you have. And he's trying to make sure that he can find some people 
who are good stewards of what he distributes so that he can give them more. Because he knows they're going to do the right thing with it. They're not just going to get bigger and fatter. They're going to figure out how to take those resources and distribute them to people who do not have. And that for the purpose of demonstrating his kindness and love for humanity as evidence that he is alive and wants them to serve him. This is stewardship. So he puts Adam in this garden. He says, listen, boy, work it. All you got to do now, you you, got to work. You got to work. Now, work is a good thing. Work's a good thing. I know we think that, that work is... Is, is difficult. We can't figure out how work is actually, or your work is God. <laughs> but work is a really good thing. The kind of work we do now is very different than the kind of work Adam was tasked with when he was in the garden. Because the curse messed everything up. He got kicked out of the garden. He was the first homeless man. <laughs> he was. He was homeless. He got kicked out of his home. And now God said, bro, it's going to be tough. I mean, you're still going to be a farmer, but this ground here is different than that ground in there. It's only going to yield for your thorns and thistles. You're going to have to work twice as hard by the sweat of your brow now. You didn't have to work by the sweat of your brow before. You have to work by the sweat of your brow now, and it's going to produce half as less, half as much. And, and it was hard. I mean, it was hard. And so now we have done our best to try to make this unfertile soil fertile trying to eke out a living from the difficulties of life and I'm grateful that God has provided the strength the wisdom the ingenuity the education to be able to do that for you but I want you to know that it is none the less a miracle when you bring home a paycheck because God provided that strength for you to do it because initially it was hard. Hard. But in the garden, it wasn't hard. It was just work. It was looking at the trees and saying, hmm, that branch produces a lot of fruit, but it's got a tributary branch that isn't. Let me prune that so it'll produce more. There were no weeds in the garden. None. I, I, I don't know that to be true, but I do. <laughs> But, but, I, but, I, but, I, but, I, but I do. I do. Because weeds are sweat of your brow work. I'll get to that in a minute. I have a garden in my backyard. I'll get to that in a minute. This place was amazing. And, and all he had to do was just work it so it provided for him. And get up in the morning, do a few things, enjoy the rest of God, and eat. And his wife was a laborer with him. And, it was going great. And then everything got messed up when he didn't do what he was supposed to do, which is the next point. There was a purpose for him, and this purpose bled into the charge that he was not only to make sure that he kept the garden and tended it, but that he, he cared for it in such a way that he was a guardian. And this is the charge that God gave him, and this is where he messed up. He may have been a really good farmer, but he wasn't a very good guardian. God said, I want you to keep this garden, and I want you to tend it. Now the words there can also be interchangeable in 
in English, but the concept was this. I give you charge as the protector, and I give you charge as the person who's supposed to make sure it's fruitful. And the charge that God gave him was preeminent to his protection and his wife's protection, the preservation of his calling. And if we're going to be good stewards, we have to listen to the charge of God and make sure that we are fulfilling it because he's given us things for which we need to watch. We need to keep our eyes open. And you need to be a really good defender in your home, a really good gardener of your own soul, making sure that nothing comes through the doors of your life that somehow infects your soul. And today, I mean, I have a garden. It's, it's, it's really my wife's garden. But I have the garden. And so I've got to go and tend it. Last year was one of the best years of, of our garden ever because I let it go fallow. There, there was nothing. I, you, see, you're supposed to sow every six years. In the seventh year, not. Last year was seven. Hallelujah. So I didn't do a thing with the garden. This year, I had to clean out all the stuff, do it all over again. And um, it's work. It's about two hours worth of work for me a week. I had to build a little fence with, with chicken wire so that the gophers wouldn't eat up my stuff. I had to plow under a whole bunch of really good mustard greens because bugs had eaten it and I can't use insecticides on them. I have to constantly get out there and mow, take a hoe and, and get between the rows and keep all the, the weeds. The weeds, I don't plant the weeds. I, they just show up. This is why you have to be vigilant. You don't plant the weeds in your soul. They just show up. And if you, don't, if you aren't a really good gardener, if you aren't a guard over the, the conditions of your heart, you'll have a crop of weeds. You say, how'd that happen? I didn't put that there. How'd that grow up like that? You must guard. And I, I got a gopher who likes my food. He's in my woods. He knows when I plant. Every year he's ready for me. And he comes over and just starts, so I planted this, you know, I got this, this fence. And he had, he got under the fence, got under the fence, and, and, and he has dug under the ground, under my little barriers, and started eating at the roots. Now, for those of you who are animal rights activists, you aren't going to like me at all here. <laughs> Not at all. I've got a bow and arrow that's serious. I'm trying to get me a gopher. I'm trying to get me a gopher. Hear me. I want you to understand my pain a little bit. Three days ago, I harvested my, harvested my first cucumber. It's a $700 cucumber. Are you feeling me? My time, effort, the amount of fertilizer, new soil, plant, seeds, it's a $700 cucumber. I ought to frame that thing. I'm not going to have a gopher eat my cucumber. <laughs> so I'm sorry. But if I see that gopher, he gone. <laughs> he gone. He gone. What do you do to guard the garden of your heart? God's trying to produce some really good fruit. 
I don't know that I'm the best communicator of the gospel, but I'm yours today. I'm all you got today. What are you doing with the information you're given? How are you guarding the seeds that are going down in your soul? Are you going to get up tomorrow morning and meditate on what's what's said? Are you going to allow the Holy Spirit to cultivate that which is on the inside and begin to produce good fruit? It's important that you guard your garden and don't let these weeds take over. Weeds of cynicism, doubt and unbelief, fear, weeds of lust and immorality. That all this, and, and you know weeds grow faster than the normal plants? <laughs> and you just can't cut them down. You got to get them by the root. They don't know death very easily. You got to get down and dig and pull it up or else they just sprout back up. You got to be careful about the weeds or else you'll have a crop of weeds. You have to be diligent. Adam wasn't very diligent with respect to making sure that things stayed out of the garden. And so the crafty, craftiest being on the planet was the serpent. And the enemy took over the serpent, began to talk, and talked to Eve. And um, I, I, I know this is one of the areas where people say, see, the Bible is just a fairy tale. Animals talking to people and them understanding. Really, Brett? Really? Now just hold on. Hold on. I know it's far-fetched. But have you ever... Have you ever wondered why dogs can understand you? Sit. Go. Fetch. Get the paper. Now, they understand you like you understand Spanish. <laughs> Come, baño. <laughs> That's eating bathroom. Those are two things you need when you go to Mexico. They understand you like you understand Spanish. They don't get all the grammar, but they can understand you. How so? Have we fallen so far that we can't understand them? I'm just saying. Our, our minds aren't as what they used to be. It's not far-fetched if they can understand us. Not far-fetched. And he began to talk to Eve and say, did God say? I mean, it really Really, is it that important? Is this tree that important? Enjoy it. He's just mad because he's, he's afraid of competition. When you eat it, you're going to be like him. And Eve ate, and it says she ate and gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So Adam was standing right there as his enemy was trying to deceive his wife. And although common perception is that it's all Eve's fault. <laughs> Man, what were you doing? Without being hypocritical or self-righteous, Adam, it was your job to make sure that that creature didn't influence your wife to do something disobedient. Why didn't you tell him to get out and shut up? You had the authority to do so. God said, guard this place, and you did not. Gentlemen, do not let women be the spiritual leaders in your house. Not that, oh, don't clap yet. Not, not that they can't. They are amazing, and there is no difference between the authority they bear and yours. Before God, he listens the same, and he respects the same. But there is order in the house, and God wants you to be the leader. Take charge and defend your house. Adam didn't, and it cost him dearly. Cost him dearly. It's important that we listen 
to God regarding how we should steward that which he has given us. And we need to cultivate, make sure that things have the proper growing environment on our souls, and we need to make sure that nothing that is out, that should be out and stay out, gets in. Now, there's no way for us to keep everything out. Jesus said in John 10, 1, talking about his shepherding, I'm the shepherd and I guard the gate, but the thief is the one who comes in over the wall. So he, he says, hmm, there's no such thing as perfect shepherding, perfect guardianship. You got, you got a devil who's really skilled. It's kind of like, how do you keep a thief out of your home? Well, you lock the doors, you got a lot of illumination, you got a security system. But can somebody beat any of that? Somebody can get online and figure out how to disable your security system. Somebody can pick your locks. Somebody can turn off the lights by shooting a BB gun. And all of a sudden, they're in your house. You can build as good of a safe as possible, but you won't stop a bank robber who is intent on robbing. What you can do is prevent him from doing it easily. And if he gets in, then you stand. You fight. You do all you can with the helmet of, of salvation, with the sword of the spirit, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the, the girdle of truth, shot in your feet. You, you get what you need and you stand against the attack of the enemy. You don't just say, well, case of Rasserat. No, no, no. You're not having my babies. You're not having my babies. You're not having my health. Now, you don't want to open the door. To, to any of that, you, you know, you, you keep, you, you guard the door like to your health. You got to eat stuff you don't want to eat. <laughs> I drink this nasty drink called kombucha. <laughs> Some people say it's acquired taste. I've been drinking it for six years. Haven't acquired it yet. <laughs> acquired it. Just flat and nasty, but it's really healthy for you. I, I, I eat plain yogurt. Equally as nasty. Now, I know some of you may have acquired a taste for plain yogurt, but that's because you've ignored your taste buds. There's nothing good about plain yogurt. I have to sweeten it up with raw honey just to make it palatable. I, I, I work out and I hate every moment of it. Every moment of it. And I burn 4,000 calories a week. I hate every moment of it. And I do these things because I'd rather be healthy than happy. <laughs> Stephen, Stephen. <laughs> and I'm trying, I'm trying to, to live long, strong. That's what I'm trying. I'm trying to do nothing that opens the door where the enemy might have an avenue to invade my health. That's what I'm trying to do. Now, an attack, I'll have to fight. But I'm not open, I don't want to open the door to it. And I realize, now, I can't live forever. Every one of us have an appointment with the grave. I'm just trying to be late. <laughs> Make sure you're guarding your soul, the garden of your heart. All the door, doorways that God has given you, be faithful. As a steward, because he has given you these things, that you might take that which he has given you and give a return to those around you and to him. So that in the end, when he asks you all about your life, he can respond with saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. Let's pray.
Daddy, I love you. I thank you for your goodness and grace. Empower us to be the kind of people who can live according to your word and manage what you've given us well.